Hello and welcome to Men in Progress, the podcast of the United Methodist Men of Treach and part of the Life Plus God podcast series. I'm Dave Casey. I'm a former, uh, uh, I guess I was a president of United Methodist Men here at Treach. And I'm just one of a bunch of guys that uh, we get together. We try to be better husbands, fathers, leaders, and we're really trying to grow our relationship with Jesus Christ. It's no secret that as men, we find ourselves, uh, we, or we like to think of ourselves as tough and uh, impervious to weakness, uh, but we really know that's not the case. Um, as much as we always want to do the right thing and not make mistakes, we often find ourselves in a position where our decisions have disappointed not only ourselves, but those around us, and really those closest to us. Uh, and for those of us that are currently or formerly suffering from addiction, that's a dark, lonely place to be. So unlike some of our other podcasts, this one is going to be a little bit, uh, a little bit more deep, a little more raw, I think. And uh, we're going to talk about some things that, uh, that are difficult to talk about. Um, and uh, the, big, the question, the overall question I think we're going to have tonight is, does God love the addicted? Uh, and it's uh, a word of caution, you know, that we will have some adult topics here. It may not be suitable to everybody uh, to listen. So if you're parents, you may want to consider that. Clearly, addiction is something that uh, it's very difficult to talk about. And if you've ever faced it personally or know someone that has, it takes great courage and humility to discuss it openly. And today I'm joined by three friends who understand these topics and uh, this particular situation. Patrick Heth, member here at Treach, uh, Serenity Church founder John Featherson, and our former Treach lay leader David Taylor. Guys, welcome to Men in Progress. Thanks, sir. Thanks, Dave. Good evening. First, I want to tell, tell you all, I really appreciate you all doing this. I know this is like the last thing you'd like to do. Um, and it's difficult for every for anyone that even has dealt with it, uh, maybe a, with a family member. It's got to be particularly difficult if you dealt with it personally. And uh, what what I'd like to ask you to do, to the extent you can, is give you give our listeners everything that you can in terms of uh, um, being frank and being forward and uh, and really telling it like it is. So I'm going to ask you first of all, what's been your experience, uh, your background with addiction? Um, what recovery looked like to you and where you stand. So, John, I'm going to start with you. I first experienced the, the thrill of it when I was in high school. The thrill of it. The yeah. thrill of it. Yeah. Uh, I grew up a, a preacher's kid in a very conservative, evangelical, fundamentalist denomination. We uh, moved around a lot, and I hadn't had a lot of experiences. We moved. My dad took a pastorate in a little country town in East Texas. And some of my new friends invited me out to a pastor party after the uh, Friday night ball game. And one of their brothers pulled up with a truckload of malt liquors. Ooh. Yeah. That's way beyond beer. Oh, way beyond beer. And the first time I ever tasted alcohol, first time, I drank 13 malt liquors. Holy cow. <laughs> in, that, in that pasture. And as you can imagine. Kind of lucky you're here to tell the tale. Oh, well, literally. Yeah. That's enough to kill you. Yeah, it is. <clears throat> my first time. And, of course, I fell on the floor in a pasture and spent the rest of the night uh, vomiting on myself and, and laying in cow poop, you know. And uh, got up the next morning, pushed myself up in the pasture, and uh, looked at me covered in vomit and cow poop and 
and said to myself, cool. <laughs> cool. What a ride. Huh? I want to do that yeah. again. Yeah. And it, it cycled through my life. Uh, I am wired to be an addict alcoholic. I am genetically wired. You know, that's a question we'll, we'll dig into a little bit deeper with everybody, I think. But oh, yeah. it, that idea is, is there such a thing as an addictive personality? Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Without question. Yeah. And it's been proven to be a genetic predisposition. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's wired into some people and not wired into wow. others. Wow. And it was wired deep into me. So all it took was that one time. That yeah. one time. I was doing that. And uh, for a lot of years, I would go through cycles. And I, was, I assumed that I couldn't be an alcoholic because I could go for a period of time and not drink. Mm -hmm. uh, but I couldn't drink and not get drunk. I had a buddy when I first came into recovery said, John, now that you're going to those meetings, does that mean you can never have a beer again? And I said, I've never had a beer. I've had eight I've yeah. had 13, that, you know, I've had six, a, yeah. but I'm, I'm physically incapable. Wow. I really believe wow. I'm physically incapable of sitting down and drinking a drink. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So Patrick, how, how about you? Well, I guess this part of the story is similar. I started uh, very young, uh, probably drank my first beer and smoked my first joint at about 11 years old. I can remember I grew up on a, little resort island up in, in Rhode Island. And the limited number of people in the school system, believe it or not, there was only about 100 of us in kindergarten through 12th grade. Wow, very small school. And I migrated towards the older kids. And I guess my first beginnings with it were trying to be acting older, and that was a big one, just trying to act older and fit in. So, yeah, began drinking very early and kept it up for about 40 years. Wow. Long ride. <laughs> Long ride. Wow. Mr. Taylor, how about yourself? <clears throat> Same story. I, I started uh, very young. I remember in our school they would bring in um, convicts to talk to us about the dangers of drugs. And this would be in the 60s, late 60s. And so <clears throat> this is the time of um, marijuana was uh, a fearful thing. And uh, the movie Reefer Madness was oh, yeah. out, you know, yeah. and everybody just thought you'd run and jump off a building. So this is like the scared straight approach. Absolutely. Yeah. And, yeah. and it was considered what we now call a gateway drug. Where So that's what these guys would talk about. For me... I was learning. I was like, oh, that's what a clip looks like. Oh, that's what a joint is. Oh, okay. And about that time, my dad took a job down in Houston, and we moved down to A-Leaf near Houston. And suddenly, nobody knew me. Nobody knew my past. And it opened up a whole bunch of opportunities. I turned 16 down there. Um, I was a big guy for my age, and there weren't really – um, all that many restrictions on checking IDs. So if you acted like you owned the place and kept your cool, you could walk in, buy a case of beer, no problem. And then <clears throat> a couple of my buddies um, turned me on to marijuana. Uh, Cheech and Chong was real popular about yep. that time. It's always uh, the popular culture. It's oh, my gosh. I was having a ball. Yeah. And like uh, John and Patrick said, I'd, 
I was hooked on getting high. I, I just loved being drunk or high and trying to act normal around other people. I thought it was a huge secret, you know, that I was yep. carrying around. Yep. Uh, later in life, um, I sobered up, put myself through an outpatient rehab, went 10 years without a drink or smoke or nothing. Wow. And then my dad died, and I thought, you know what? I'm a grown man. I can do what I want to. And I, I knew we had a bottle of whiskey in the cabinet for company. I grabbed that bottle. I went out in the backyard. I drank the whole thing. Wow. And then threw it all up. Again, all like the John, backyard. I'm just yeah. glad you're here. <laughs> yeah, really. yeah. Yeah. Because another part of addiction is it's progressive. And so what they yeah. teach us is wherever you quit, if you ever go back – you're at that level, and that's usually what kills people right. is they will drink back to that level, and yep. your body just can't handle it. Wow. Uh, my health got bad. Uh, my little brother came to me, and he said, you know, marijuana's not bad for you. I mean, it's a nat- you know, yeah. he had this philosophy. It was all natural and herbal and all that. Could be better for you than whiskey. Well, <laughs> by this time, uh, this would have been uh, 99 uh, marijuana had changed from the yeah. $10 bags I was buying in high school. One, it was a lot more expensive, but two, it was a lot more potent. Sure, sure. And then I figured out well, I could drink some Crown Royal and smoke a joint, and whoopee, now we got a party. Wow, wow. And uh, went another 10 years or so like that, and then one day just got sick and tired of being sick and tired. Yeah. And Wonderful day. Yeah. Wonderful day. Oh, yeah. Well, that kind of gets me to my next part of this uh, discussion. And I'll just start with you. We'll work back way around the horn again. Okay. Is um, getting to recovery. Mm -hmm. And is that a, uh, you said it's just a, you made a decision, but did you have to get to a certain point to make that decision? It's a a horrible experience. Did people help you get to that decision? Well, a lot of people tried. Yeah. Um, I lost a couple of friends because they tried like intervention type of stuff mm-hmm. and snatch your way being a North Texas redneck. I would quickly tell them where they could put all that and yeah. never really talk to them again. Yep. It, it was a horrible th- because you, you have to get to a point in, in recovery. We call it rock bottom. It has to hurt. Mm-hmm. You have to be afraid you're going to lose something, uh, something of great value. And I, was suddenly faced with losing something of great value, which was my wife. Sure. And I had kept this. She knew I drank. She didn't know about the marijuana. And that was like the final straw for her. And so I walked into Serenity Church here at Treach and talked to John here. And it, it it was horrible because I had put forth this facade around Treach and around John and around Emmaus, you know, that was a fine, upstanding Christian man. You bet. And I wasn't. And John uh, loved me and showed me uh, the path back. Yeah, wonderful. Yeah. So, Patrick, did you have this moment when you had to make a decision? I did, and um, I hate to admit the fact that I was here when Serenity started here as well. And uh, even though I knew in my heart I had a problem, I I 
wasn't about to show up here on a Saturday night with all those losers. <laughs> <laughs> all of those people. Oh, yeah. And um, as far as my relationship in this church, like David had alluded to, you, you're living a lie is what it really comes down to. And for years, even in my life group, which is a very close to my heart part of this church, I would be in there and people would be sharing, you know, very personal aspects of their life. And many times it was different people in our life group dealing with addiction and the families or brothers or uh, direct members of the group. And I would participate, but never was willing to be honest or open about my personal situation. And um, I got to a point where my, my disease got so progressive. I had been a functioning, you know, I'm putting air quotes with my fingers, but functioning alcoholic for many years. And that's a misnomer because you're just lying to yourself when you're calling yourself that. But in my case, I was functioning because I was drinking mostly beer. And in the last part of my addiction, I had progressed to carrying vodka with me in my suitcase. And um, my health and everything was really uh, skyrocketing down. My relationships with my family, my children, my wife. And uh, I was destined for a much shorter lifespan than I was, yeah. I guess, yeah. growing up hoping for. Sure, sure. So, yes, I, I definitely hit a bottom. Mm-hmm. And, John, I think I've heard your story in the past, but you, uh, I think you, have. You, had a, you had a time that... I, I, had, I had a specific point on the calendar when, when I knew. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was, if possible, even more complicated... Uh, for my situation and some other people's, and that at that time I was in my early 30s and was the senior pastor of what was then the 10th largest church of my denomination in the world. Wow. Wow. <laughs> and uh, nine full-time pastors, and I'm the guy in the pulpit in the big front office and a drug addict that was absolutely killing myself trying mm-hmm. to cope with all that. I'd had dinner one night with a buddy of mine, and uh, after dinner, I invited him to go somewhere, and he said, well, I don't think I will tonight, John. I think I'm going to go to a meeting of Narcotics Anonymous. And I was real proud of him for that, that he was getting help with his problem. You know? yeah, well, yeah. And I said all the right, oh, good for you kind of words. You know? And uh, several weeks later, uh, I was sitting at my desk one morning, and it was a morning with a boatload of deadlines where – I had to get my work done for that Sunday before the rest of the staff could do theirs and the other minister could do his. And it all fell like dominoes in front of me. And and I sat down and got out all my materials and looked down at my desk and everything just began to swim on wow. my desk. And, wow. and I realized that I, I was still high from the night before. And I'm sitting there completely incapable of doing what I was supposed to be doing that day so everybody else could do theirs. And I, uh, I've asked the question a lot of times about that is my dad was a pastor all of my, his life. And I, he used to ask the question, who ministers to the ministers? 
Mm-hmm. And, and that is so important. I and mean, I, the whole I, idea behind sabbaticals and I know, didn't have an answer. Church lifting you up. Yeah, I didn't have an answer. And and uh, where does a pastor go? Yeah. When he what you know, most people will go to their pastor if they've got a problem out of control. But where does the pastor go if he's got a problem completely out of control and destroying his life? And I didn't have an answer. I just remember that conversation with my buddy. And uh, that was in the late 1980s, so there was no internet to look up an NA meeting. <laughs> and uh, I called information, and they gave me a number, and I called, and the nice lady said, be at this place at noon and tell them what you just told me, and they'll help you. And this place she sent me was uh, down in Deep Ellum, uh, way before Deep Ellum was you know, yuppie lofts and high tech startups. Fashionable back then. Yeah, <laughs> it was yeah. just a really creepy neighborhood yeah, down. And yeah. and I drove my my brand new Mercedes down there and got out <laughs> in my suit and tie, you know, and oh man. Walked down a dirt alley between two abandoned buildings on Good Latimer. You know, wow. And my whole life changed yeah. over that next hour. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. What a story. Yeah. So, you know, the question and I don't even know if it's worded the way that uh that I would do this, but it says, does God love the addicted? Do you know when you're addicted that God loves you? I think you know after you're in recovery, but do you know when you're in the middle of it? And I guess I'll start with David. Well, I, I, I'll, I'll confess that um, the reason I really like marijuana is it made me much more spiritual. Oh, oh. oh my gosh. I used to sit and... Talk to God out in my backyard and, and write these great Bible study lesson plans and, and it was like the old commercial. I would then show up on Sunday morning and go, Well, this is this is crap. What is this? And so yes, to answer your question, yes, of course God loves the addicted. God loves all of us who are addicted to something. It could be as simple as you're addicted to your own personal view of the world. Um, but when you, when you're in the throes of addiction, it's hard to imagine anybody loves you because frankly, I didn't love myself very much. I knew I was living a lie. <clears throat> I knew what sobriety had been like. Cause this was, if you remember my second time around yeah, 10%, yeah. <clears throat> and I didn't think I had another recovery in me. Um, and, and so from that stand, from that point, no, I, I I was convinced, you know, God has given up on me. Like you just said, looking back from here, of course God loved me. God loved yeah. me to bring that rock bottom up super fast and super hard so yep. that it hurt. Mm-hmm. And and had Serenity Church yeah. meeting right here around the corner from my house yeah. so that I didn't have to put forth a heck of a lot of effort. All I had to do was walk in and see John. Yep. Um, but that that idea of love too, I think we think of love as this peachy keen thing, but love sometimes is it hurts. There, time, yeah, well, you know, yeah. And you, when you go after that, yeah. So, and we mentioned about serenity and about the idea of church, and uh, I've got to say, from my perspective, it seems like sometimes Christians can be the most condemning and judgmental folks when it comes to this kind of stuff. So. Yeah. Yeah, Patrick, how have you run into that? Do you have you ever felt that? Um, 
No, but it's because I've hit it so well and have been uh, probably fearful of the type of reaction that I would get. I um, want to address what you said about God loving the addict. I can tell you that through my entire addiction, I was clearly able to see the blessings that were taking place in my life. God was, I guess, carrying me through this in ways which I was aware of. I was aware of the fact that uh, my my relationships with my children were, uh, in, in spite of my addiction, my children were wonderful. Yeah. They grew up in this church and happened to benefit from uh, an incredible youth program. They were so close to the Lord through their relationship at this church that it caused me to... Uh, participate as much as I possibly could, and I could see the results that were taking place in their lives and other members of this church, and I tried as hard as I could to um, keep a strong relationship with the Lord, but I knew that I was having this big barrier between a, a true relationship because I was doing so much damage to myself. So do you feel like he, he was holding up his end? Maybe you weren't holding up your end. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and that's, that's gotta be difficult. I mean, cause you just, that's, it's hard to look in the mirror. I would imagine. Um, John, did you feel that? I mean, did you feel the Lord's love through all your tribulations? Eventually. Eventually. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, uh, I have always especially loved the apostle Matthew telling the story of his, discovering that love and uh, and Jesus came to a party at his house and uh, and you know all of his buddies were there who were I'm sure drunks and junkies and prostitutes sure. and thieves and Matthew was known to be the biggest thief in town you know and uh, and Jesus is partying with these people and what would now be the tidy church folks walked by and saw Jesus at this party at this house and they said he claims to be all that, and look who he's hanging out yeah. with. Not only taxpayers, but now these guys. Oh, yeah. 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 And uh, look who he's hanging out with. And Jesus' response is always my response now. He said, uh, healthy people don't need a doctor. Yeah. Sick people do. And I'm a doctor. I'm going where the, where the business is. And, yeah. And he yeah. said, yeah. I didn't come here to call the righteous. I came to call the sinners, you yeah. know. Yeah. And, uh, but that's hard. That can be hard to find in the church. Uh, those same church folks that were giving Matthew a hard time are in pretty much any church you're going to walk into. And you still deal with that. Yeah. I found that early in my recovery is that the church folks around me were not amused by these people who are now my family. Well, I've had a lot of folks, um, I've not been through recovery and, and all that. I've got a lot of folks that have worked for me, good friends over the years, and uh, almost all of them, not all, almost all of them had left various churches mm -hmm. just because of that, because oh, yeah. they just said, you know, uh, if I need help, I'm not getting it there for, some, for whatever reason. Oh, yeah. 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 So sure. the, to me, that's a, that 
that sure puts uh, puts the onus on us. I think to do but, something. See, I saw that disconnect yeah. in my first thirty days. Yeah, and I was getting up every morning, putting on my suit and tie, and driving to the far side of town to pastor this big church. And every night of my life, I was going to a smoky warehouse full of drunks and junkies. Yep. Who, Lots of strong coffee. Who were loving me, encouraging <laughs> yeah, me. Yeah. They were rewriting my theology for me. Wow. Yeah. I tell people all the time that I went through two Christian universities in a seminary and found God in a smoky warehouse full of junkies on, on Arkansas Lane in Arlington, Texas. <laughs> you know, and uh, completely rewrote my theology. Yeah. I came home my first month and I told my wife. I said, if God will just get me out of this hole I'm in, yeah. someday I would love to take what's going on in that warehouse and what I really think Christ had in mind and put it in a blender and pour it out. And since every recovery group in the world opens with the serenity prayer, yep. I said, I think I'd call it Serenity Church so my people would know it's for us. Great branding. <laughs> and yeah. it was 20 years later. Wow. But wow. God made me keep that promise. That's yeah. awesome. Well, that let me so you've got the perspective on this, I think. So, what do you think's the greatest misconception people have about addiction? Uh, not just Christians, but just people in general. That people get up daily and make this choice. Yeah. That they choose this every day. Why would somebody choose this? Yeah. You'll snap out of it. What are you thinking? See, in yeah. and, and, and my early days of, of all this, and I think it was real early because I think I flipped from enjoying it to being addicted to it pretty quick. But there comes a point where you suddenly no longer get to choose. I, I had no choice about this. I, I had to do this to be what I thought was the best kind of okay I could get. And uh, if I lose patience with people, it's the folks who say, I don't understand my, why my loved one wants to choose to live like that. Yeah. Well, they don't. They don't. <laughs> not <laughs> they, a choice. It's not a choice. No. Yeah. Well, kind of the other side of that, now, Patrick, I'll ask you this, because uh, uh, with the journey that you've been on, um, do you feel your faith has made dealing with this easier for you? I couldn't have done it without it. I wouldn't have gotten one day sober without my faith. And I had been watching David for, I don't know how many years after I first saw the video that uh, somebody put together here at the church where um, people were soul bearing about certain issues. And I saw David up there, somebody that I respected so highly admit his alcoholism. And for years I thought, I have to get the courage to speak with David and yeah. see if maybe uh, I could admit that I have a problem and, and possibly get some help. I didn't reach out to David. I didn't reach out to anybody, and I believe that was primarily for shame. But I can remember distinctly the day that I gave up, got on my knees in my backyard, and admitted complete, utter defeat, and prayed that I could at least get through one night without drinking. Wow. And that's about two and a half years ago now. And just keep those wow. nights coming, just yep, day that, by day. That's a long time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. So, David, 
just given what he has just talked about, um, what role do you think Christianity should play in this whole thing with 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 addiction, with recovery? Yeah, I, I like John just said. I read this the stories in the scriptures, especially the New Testament stories about Jesus, um, and I see Jesus going to people that are honest about their own problems. Um, and he questions them. He does, yeah. and and when he's in, around. Uh, people that are trying to put forth the image that they have no problems, he's very hard on them and and sometimes calls them very harsh names. But it's to shock them to realize you have just as many problems as these people you have deemed to be unacceptable. And I think we're still dealing with that at some level. There are, and don't get me wrong, I love Treach. I love the people of Treach and and. You know, in many ways, they have made me the man I am and, and helped me immensely in my recovery. However, there are people here at Treach and other churches that put forth the image that they really have no problems. They're happy yeah. to step in and help you because <laughs> yeah. you're, you're a hot mess. Yeah, yeah. But don't, just fine. don't get too personal because, you know, I really don't have yeah. any problems. Nope. And their family doesn't have any problems. Exactly. <laughs> And, and in some ways, it's just like the addict. They just don't want to admit it. They don't want to reveal and be open about it. So yeah. if, if Christianity, if the church has any role, in, and it's not just addiction with this. It's, it's everything. It's um, fear of raising your kids. It's trouble in your marriage. It's, you know, the, the guy sitting next to you at work that you can't stand. <clears throat> All those kind of issues. We it, the church should be the safest place on the planet yeah. to come and talk to people about that, and sometimes it's not because yeah. you're going to be labeled as one of those people. Mm-hmm. And oh, God forbid, I'm ever labeled. You know, now I'd wear it like a banner. I mean, I, John's church has some T-shirts they had made up. You know, we're one of those people. <laughs> I need to get me one of those. Yeah. Um, but I, through recovery, I have gained a voice and the language and the courage to be more vocal about not only this issue in my life, but a lot of others. Yeah. And you you do that well because you tie that in. Uh, we could be talking about something totally different. And I've, I've heard you say now in the recovery community, we would call this right. that. And like and John, that, like John that, alluded to, I've sat in those recovery circles yeah. and in many ways it is a much better church than church because of the honesty. When you're in a recovery circle, nobody's hiding. Yeah. You, you may be the new guy there for the first time, but the fact you walked in that door, you're, you don't go to a recovery meeting to have a good time. You don't go to a recovery meeting just to eat your lunch and listen to the discussion. You go to a recovery meeting because you have at least admitted that you've got something you need to deal with. Yep. Yep. Now, granted, there are those in recovery because a judge has told them you need to go <laughs> here. And and we laugh at them yeah. because I saw a guy, he, he was in there for his seventh DUI. Whoa. And he didn't have a problem. And he yep. was very frank about that. And we, 
We just the judge had a problem. We, yeah. yeah, the judge had a problem. The cop in his neighborhood had a problem. He was after him. You know, his yeah. wife, he just couldn't understand why she wouldn't quit griping about it. Everybody had a problem but him. Yep. And it's just comical. Once you've made that step, once you've decided to be honest with yourself first and everybody else second, uh, it's hilarious to watch somebody try to walk around yeah. it. Yeah. You know? Well, and the thing is, I think... Uh, in my opinion, the uh, uh, for what that's worth, um, I think when Christianity at the lowest level can be the most effective in that life group meeting, in that group of four to six guys on oh, a yeah. Saturday morning, mm-hmm. you know that's the that's mm-hmm. the groundwork that's done. Yeah, and it's wonderful to go to church. It's wonderful to get the message and and the ambiance at church. But I think that uh, Christianity at at the lowest level or the base yeah. level, I think, is where we can really well, make a, a difference know, in people's lives. Patrick mentioned that uh, video we made to yeah. launch uh, Renew. And when Doug asked me to be in that video, I jumped at the chance and I made the video. However, when I'm sitting there in the pew with you know a few hundred of my closest friends who have known me all my life, and suddenly I come up on the big screen telling the world I'm an alcoholic addict, that's a whole different issue. Yeah. I man, mm-hmm. I struggled with that for a while. I joked with with Doug, you know, I you you've cost me another couple of years of therapy over that deal. That's not exactly true. What it did though is it made me because of people like Patrick and there's been lots of others uh, approach me yeah. and say, "Can I talk to you about this?" Yep. I don't know if I have a problem or not. What do you think? And I have learned how to have that conversation. That's wonderful. And yeah. so, but it takes putting yourself out. They call it Alcoholics Anonymous for a reason. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're supposed you're not, to be. You're anonymous. not going to get anybody <laughs> yeah. to seek out help like that yeah. if you're going to yeah. plaster their name on the front yeah. marquee. Yep. But there comes a point when, you know, like John has all this bling and, and tattooed up like a biker. <laughs> Um, but oh, it's, gosh, I wish we were on video. I do, yeah. too. I, he's got some great ink. Oh, look at that. I know. I, I, that's why I can't hang around him. See? I don't have yeah. any tattoos. Yeah. And he's like, you got to get some ink. It, it, there comes a point where your story is valuable because it's true and it's honest mm-hmm. and it really happened. It's not that I'm bragging about my past. I'm, I'm ashamed of much of my past. But at the same exact time, I am so thankful because had it not been for that, I wouldn't be where I am. Yeah, the contrast and I think just the, the, the uh, appreciation maybe. And, and yeah. many times when you mentioned, I bring it up in other Bible studies and stuff when we're talking about something completely different. I bring it up because there is so much about recovery that would benefit anybody. Mm-hmm. You know, there is value in the 12 steps just to be a better person. You don't have yeah. to be a drug addict or almost lose your job or your wife or you know any of that. Yep. Uh, there's value in just the honesty and the humbleness that comes from do, doing the 12 steps. So along those lines, and this is really our last question, but um, and I'll start with John on this. So I, uh, I pray, actually, that there's men listening to this podcast that have an issue or issues and uh, they're really struggling, you know, and they don't even know the next step to take. What would be the top three things you'd, you'd recommend? Wow, man. Yeah. 
<laughs> Not that you've ever run into a guy like this. No, you know? this has never happened. No. Uh, first of all, there has to be what Dave was talking about. There has to be a culture of honesty and approachableness, which I did not have before. And my anonymity means nothing to me. Yeah. You know, yeah. I decided a long time ago that my anonymity was not a luxury that I could afford. And David Dreitch can't see it on a podcast, but I have the key elements of my Christ faith on my right, inked all over my right arm, and all of these are quotes from Alcoholics Anonymous literature, you know. And uh, So you don't even have to carry the brochure. You can just hold your arm. Or <laughs> I'm wearing a pendant around my neck that yeah. is the uh, anonymous symbol of Alcoholics Anonymous. Mm -hmm. I don't go wearing a T-shirt that says I'm in AA. But I have things about me that if people are looking, they can identify me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They know anything about it. And yeah. it's been yeah. amazing. Yeah. I, I mean, literally at the baggage carousel at DFW, at checking out at the 7-Eleven, the kid that fixed, mm -hmm. you know, hands me my burger, they'll all turn to me and, and make some comment about they understand and, and me too and how about yeah. hundreds of conversations have been available oh. because I make myself available. That's that's fantastic. Yeah. So Patrick, do you do you uh, if somebody's out there struggling, do you have words of wisdom that you'd give them based on your experience? Well, wisdom from me is, uh, I'm, I'm quite frankly, I still feel I'm so new at sobriety. Even even though I haven't had a drink in two and a half years, I was somewhat secretive about even. My first year of sobriety, I, I was going to AA meetings practically daily, but I had, uh, I had told my life group that I was moving in this direction, but I didn't open up in much detail about it. I really didn't talk with my family other than my wife that I was going through this. And in part, it was because part of being an addict is that you're a liar or that you are not honest with yourself or you say things to other people that are, uh, you're not actually able to live up to. So my first entire year of sobriety, I was going to meetings, but I was very wary of telling anybody because I wasn't sure I was going to make it. Yeah. So you definitely, yeah. the, the first day was, was important. <laughs> the anonymous part. It, yeah. To a certain degree. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I didn't approach David, <laughs> until I had a full year of sobriety and I, yeah. uh, went to Doug and I admitted that I had had this problem, but that I had been ashamed to even discuss it with anybody here at the church until I, in my heart knew that, um, I'd committed well enough that I had a full year of sobriety and I've started going to renew. Mm. That's yeah. tremendous. Do you have words of wisdom, David? I don't know it, you know, um, it's, it's, uh, it's very simple. If, if you, if you are thinking you have a problem, you probably have a problem. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yep. Uh, the hard part is going from thinking to doing, yeah. but if you're ready to do something, um, reach out to somebody, call me, call John, call the, call yeah. Doug. Yeah. Well, and to or, the people that are listening to this, 
for everywhere. There'll there, be there people, are resources you can get to. Oh, I, yeah, I yeah, suspect people yeah. will be passing this one around. Yeah. Um, because the other thing that happens to me is I get family members coming to me. Well, I've got a, I've got a nephew. I've got a son. I've got you know this, this some person in their circle who yeah. they have seen signs that they have a problem. The other issue that we haven't touched on yet is they also have a problem. The family gets affected by the alcoholics, yeah, alcoholism, sure. and, the, and drug addicts, drug addiction. And there are groups for that. So my advice is very simple. Go get yourself a simple, plain spiral notebook, a brand-new big ballpoint pen, <laughs> Google up AA near me, walk in that room, sit your rear end down, and keep your mouth shut, and start writing down what you hear. And do that. 90 meetings in 90 days, and then talk to them in that room. Yeah. yeah. Uh, get yourself a trusted, they, we call it a sponsor, but it's a trusted individual who's got some sobriety under their belt, and and get yourself a big book. And, and it's all very simple. It's one of the hardest things you'll ever do because it takes that initial um I call it the want to. Yeah. You've got yeah. it. You've got something's got to be of so much value in your life that you're fixing to see walk out the door yep. that you can't stand to lose it. Yeah. And you're willing to do anything. And that's in the big book. We were willing to do anything. Any length. Yep. Go to any length to get better. Yeah. Because, and, and AA's full of all these little cute little cliches. Mm-hmm. I joke at them all the time. But, we were sick and tired of being sick and yeah, tired. That's a real and real thing. Um, I can't, I can't even put into words, and, and we all feel it. The the um, complete turnaround my life has taken. Now I've I lost a few things, right? Lost some friends, um, you know. Because another one of the cute sayings is, "You can't, you know, if you sit in a barbershop long enough, you're going to get a haircut." <laughs> so you don't hang out with people that aren't willing to accept you the way you, you yep. are now. Yep. And so I don't hang out with those people. Um, but I've got such close friends. I've got friends who are also alcoholics and addicts, and I've got friends who are not and love me anyway. And, uh, you know, Pam has forgiven me. So my jewel of precious value did not walk out the door man that's tremendous what a story i would just want to add that if it wasn't for the aa meetings and certainly that first 90 days first year first two years um i would have not been successful so if there's anything that i would recommend as david said is you have to have enough want to get to that first meeting yeah and the fact that I've not had a drink in two and a half years is um, a miracle in itself, but the change of every other aspect of my life is where you don't realize these benefits are, are going to appear. Yeah, it's way oh, yeah. beyond, sobri- yeah. just way beyond sobriety. Yeah. 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 You know, and I'd like to also say, because I slammed Treach a little bit before, and I'm sorry about that. <laughs> yeah, uh, they are sponsoring us treat, here now. Yeah. I know, I know. And, you know, I got to turn around here um <laughs> treach i am so proud of treach because from yes. the pulpit we have heard almost all of our ministers from the pulpit yes. talk about addiction yeah and how yep. it's touched their life some yep. 
personally, some directly, some yep. some family. family. Um, but they have all had the courage to do that. Mm-hmm. And we have birthed Renew, yep. and that is yep. helping people. We've got a gentleman in Renew who isn't an addict or an alcoholic. His problem is something else. Mm-hmm. But he's found benefit from the 12 step. And folks like John, who started Serenity Church and has birthed Serenity Churches all over the place, there's no telling how much money he's making now. Um, well, I heard there's a ob- jet. I, well, I it's a rumor. No, actually, rumor. there's none because none of the alcoholics have any money. <laughs> no. Um, and has written a couple of really good books. So tell yeah. them about tell them about your books. Always Plug fun. your book, there, John. A uh, couple of couple of directions. Uh, first of all, when we're talking about where do you reach, uh, Treach has been more than a great yeah. friend and family to Serenity Church. Serenity Church in our early days needed a home and treats threw open the doors and said, our home is yours. Mm-hmm. And now we have Serenity Churches in places we could not have even imagined that we've helped plant. Yeah. Uh, if you need somebody to point you in the right direction and you want to be really anonymous, uh, go to our website, serenitychurch.net, click on Contact Us, and just say so. Uh, that email will come to me and stay with me, and I will help oh, you tremendous. find the nearest help. Yeah. Clearly, if anybody is in this part of North Texas in the Metroplex, I'll send them to Treach in a heartbeat. This would be my resource, but there's a lot of sweet places yeah. like this. Sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's what I'd like to help. Wow, what a resource. Yeah. Well, guys, I have to thank you so much for your transparency. This has been wonderful, and hopefully it's helpful for those that are, that are listening. And uh, what, what a group of testimonies uh, for men in progress. Uh, We hope that you, the listeners, are are blessed in some way by our discussion and that you will reach out uh, if if you need this help, if you'll find, you know, and make that that move, as you guys said. Uh, And John just says serenitychurch.net or tmumc.org, which is our our, uh, TREACH uh, website here in, in, again, in North Texas, and just do backslash addiction and there's all types of, uh, of information there. Many thanks to my brothers, uh, David Taylor, uh, Patrick, and uh, to John Featherston. Uh, thanks for our production team for putting this together uh, and for all of our podcasts. Uh, and I guess in closing, does, does God love the, the addicted? Of course he does. Um, we worship a, a loving and forgiving God that no matter what or when, we can reach out to. And as it says in Proverbs, that, uh, that as iron sharpens iron, so does one man sharpen another. That's the whole purpose behind these podcasts. And we thank you for joining us to this, this episode of Men in Progress, the podcast that is of, by, and for Christian men trying to be better fathers, better husbands, better leaders, and just better citizens of the world. I'm David Casey. We'll see you next time. This episode of the Men in Progress podcast is sponsored by Treach Memorial United Methodist Church, where our mission is to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. If you're in or near Flower Mound, Texas on any Sunday morning, we would love to welcome you to any of the Treach services. Or you can follow our services anytime on our Facebook page or at tmumc.org.